God is love. God is love. The Quran will never say that about Allah. And even in the Old Testament Jewish scriptures, while God's love comes out in different uh, places, it is the New Testament in the light of the revelation of Jesus where we find these words that God is love. And so we read in 1 John chapter 4, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then later, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. What do we mean when we say God is love? What does the Bible mean when it talks about God's love? Something I hope in my ministry that you will be able to answer and learn that there are five different ways in which God's love is spoken of. Sometimes it's the love that God has within himself as Trinity, uh, where Jesus says the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descends upon Jesus, the voice of the Father comes from heaven. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So uh, there's a lot of scriptures that speaks of the love that God has as Trinity within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's also that God's unconditional love, uh, where he sends the, the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, it's his providential, non-discriminating love that he sends on his world. There's also those texts that talk about his inviting love, where he yearns for our lives to be spiritually and morally better. And so he invites us, he challenges us, he even pursues us because he loves us. There's also a fourth aspect of God's love, his electing love, where he, in love, chooses one over another. He chooses a Jacob over an Esau. He chooses an Abraham. He chooses a, a David to be king. Um, he chooses one over another so that, certainly in, in, from Abraham's point of view, that all nations of the earth will be blessed by him and his descendants. And fifthly, there's those texts that spoke about, speak about his Conditional love, all those if statements. If my people do this, then I will do this. If you do that, then I promise I will do that. The implication being, if you don't do it, then you will not receive the blessing that has been promised. The danger when we speak about God's love today is that some churches raise up one aspect of God's love and they neglect the others and therefore you get a distorted understanding of what God's love is about. So I say that, that what I say today is one part of the discussion and understanding of what we mean when we say God is love. And so these, this text, probably the, the most famous text verse or two verses in the whole Bible for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Four things this morning about this verse that helps us understand what we mean by God is love. 
this verse tells us that the focus of God's love is the world. For God so loved the world. And when you think of the world, you probably think of that photograph from space of this globe that we are part of, the continents, of the oceans, of life there. But before we understand this verse, we've got to ask a question. Do you think God ought to love you? Do you think he should love you? Do you think that you deserve his love? I want you to picture Charlie and Susan walking down a beach hand in hand at the end of the academic year. The pressure of the term and all their studies and learning has evaporated in the warm evening breeze. They kick off their sandals. The wet sand squishes between their toes. Charlie turns to Susan, and I hope there are no Charlie and Susans here. They gaze deeply into their large hazel eyes, and Charlie says, Susan, I love you. I really do. Now, what does Charlie mean when he says to Susan, I love you? He means something like this. Susan, you mean everything to me. I can't live without you. Your smile knocks me out from 50 meters. Your sparkling good humor, your beautiful eyes, the scent of your hair, everything about you transfixes me. I love you. But what he certainly does not mean is this. Susan, quite frankly, you have such a bad case of bad breath <laughs> that it would embarrass a herd of garlic-eating unwashed elephants. That your nose is so big it belongs in the cartoons. That your hair is so greasy it could lubricate a lorry. That your knees are so disjointed that you make a camel look elegant. Your personality makes Attila the Hun and Genghis Khan look like wimps. But Susan, I love you. So now God comes to us and says, I love you. What does he mean? Does he mean, you mean everything to me? Your personality your beauty, your smile, the things that you do for other people, everything about you transfixes me. In fact, heaven would be boring if you were not there. Because that's pretty close to what some therapeutic feel-good approaches to the love of God spell out. We must be pretty wonderful because God loves us. And that dear old God is pretty vulnerable, finding himself in a dreadful state unless we say yes to his love, that he needs us to make himself happy. Is God's love about how lovable we are? Or does he love us despite our failures and our unattractiveness and our sinfulness and our wickedness and the fact that we neglect him and that we live our lives as if he's not relevant to our lives. In John's Gospel, the word for world is the word in Greek, cosmos, 
which you get cosmology, cosmonauts, things like that, the word cosmos. But it does not refer to the world and its breathtaking mountains and pure streams and fertile forests and delicious foods and the laughter of people. In fact, in John's Gospel, the word world refers to a place where Jesus is not recognized. John 1 verse 10, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world is a place where Jesus is not recognized. He says in uh, 3.19 that the world is a place where darkness is loved rather than light. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So when John uses the word, the world, he is talking about a place that is in rebellion against its creator. For God so loved this kind of world, this dark place, this place in rebellion against him. God's love is marveled at because it's given to such, not to a lovely place as this, but to such a bad place as this. It's not given to so many people who live in this world, this globe, but that actually it reaches out to such dark people and wicked people. So when God says he loves the world, he loves us, he means something like this, morally speaking, you are the people of the bad breath, the big nose, the greasy hair, the disjointed knees, the abominable personality. Your distance from me has made you ugly, but I love you anyway. Not because you are attractive, but because it is in my nature to love. And I love you. And in the case of the elect, God says, I have set my affection on you before the foundation of the universe. Not because you're wiser or better or stronger than others, but because in grace, I've chosen to love you. You are mine. And you will be transformed because nothing in all creation can separate you from my love that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is what the Bible means by the love of God. This is the way that God loves us. This is the way his love comes to us and he chooses to love us. He saves us because his Nature is loving. God so loved this kind of place and this kind of people and the kind of people that we are are with messed up lives that he sent his son. The focus of God's love is the world. Secondly, the message, the measure of God's love is Jesus For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If you want to see God's love for you, you just look at Jesus. 
You know, many people, you say, oh, I believe in God. I, I, have, a, I have a great faith. I might not need to go to church every Sunday, you know. I can worship God anywhere. But I, I, I believe in God. But do you know Jesus? Because you only know who God is and God's love and his grace and his holiness and his hope and everything else by knowing Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The measure of God's love is Jesus. So what do you see in Jesus? Well, you see a compassionate love. You read the Gospels. He, he, he denounces people for the sake of others, but he's never heartless. He's gentle even to a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. He is tender with those who are fragile in their brokenness and in their lostness and sin. You look at Jesus and you see a love that addresses people where they are, whether they are a rich young ruler, whether they are a Samaritan woman at a well with deeply broken relationships, whether it's a Gentile leader whose child is desperately ill, whether it's a broken woman who washes his feet or a disciple who disowns him. He addresses people where they are, wherever the world in which they are living in, and he wants to call them out of that. Jesus is for them. He comes to people and he proclaims himself in love to be ultimate rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy burdened, deeply burdened, and I... I'm the one that can give you rest. But the ultimate expression of his love for the world, the sending of his son, is his love for us on the cross. And so we read those words written many years later from John's gospel in 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That sounds a bit like John 3, 16. But then... In his letter, he goes on, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How much does God love you? How does God most supremely show his love? It is actually on the cross that Jesus died upon. In fact, the cross defines what love is for us as Christians. It is sacrificial. The cross is the only way that God could deal with our ultimate problem of the world, the dark world in which we live. The measure of God's love is Jesus. Thirdly, the purpose of God's love is life. We need life because we don't live in it. Um, we have some lovely flowers here. They look beautiful on the outside, but actually they have been cut off from their life source so that they may be beautiful, but they're actually in the process of dying. And if they were to stay here until next week, you would realize that there would be no life left in them. We are like that. We are beautiful on the outside, but without a relationship with the Father, we've been cut off from the life source of what we were created for. Uh, in, in John's words, uh, we live already in darkness and condemnation. And so 
he, he said this, for God so loved the world that he, that he gave his son that should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, some people, when they read that, he says, oh, God's not in the business of condemnation. They misunderstand it. The world is already condemned. So Jesus has not come to condemn it more because it's already living in condemnation. He has come to bring it life, bring it out of its darkness, give it the life that it so desperately wants. Jesus does not come to people who are spiritually neutral or morally neutral. He comes to people who are broken and who are distant from God. You know, people don't get this. People think that Jesus has come to love you where you are and affirm you where you are. Uh, This is the way that God made me. And you hear uh, phrases like that. People want their kind of lifestyle, their kind of desires affirmed in the way that they want to live their life. No, Jesus has come to love you where you are and because he loves you to lead you from where you are because without him you are in a lonely dark place the purpose of God's love is that we might have life in a relationship with Jesus and finally the means we enjoy this love is faith believe Believe, believe, believe. When I first talked about faith three Sundays ago, it's the same word in the Bible, the New Testament, spistuo, which we translate either as faith, belief, or trust. It's the same word that we can translate three different ways because we can't say faithing, so we say trusting, we say believing, but all the say you put what you put your trust in is something that you believe in, something that you have faith in. So the word here, believe, it, it could be uh, trust. Whoever trusts in him is not condemned. It could be faith. Whoever has faith in him is not contemned, condemned. The means we enjoy this love that touches, once seeks to touch all our lives by God's presence is faith. What does Jesus want us to do, therefore? We don't need to impress him. He's not interested us in impressing him or trying to get his attention. How often have we prayed, Lord, I'm in a terrible situation. If you get me out of this, I promise I will do this. We we are born bargainers with God. Uh, Lord, I want you to do this, so I promise that I'll do this. I promise I'll go to church every Sunday. I promise I'll give more or whatever. How often have we prayed that? God's not interested in that to gain his attention or to try to pay for our own sins. Lord, I've made a real mess of my life. Please forgive me and whatever. What he wants us to do is just trust him, to look to him as the answer to our problems. In Numbers 21, don't know whether you know the story. Uh, the people of Israel have, are on their way into to the promised land. and They complain again, but for the first time they complain against God. Why have you brought us to this place? Why, we can't stand this food anymore. And for the first time they are speaking out against God. 
And therefore God allows snakes to come in and bite people into the camp and many start dying. And then the people start crying out to God, to Moses, save us, Uh, don't wipe us out, we're sorry, Uh, please ask God to forgive us. And then Moses says, uh, God says to Moses, I want you to put a snake and lift it up on a pole and whoever looks to the snake will be healed. And people in this painting are looking to the snake to be healed, and God heals them. A few verses earlier from what we read in John 3.16, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him, whoever looks to him, trusts in him, has faith in him, may have eternal life. The means that you enjoy this love is faith. Faith in Jesus. Looking to him. That his life is your life. That his death is your death. And that his resurrection will be your resurrection. Because he is our saviour and our Lord. God is love. And here is just a start of this journey. That the focus of God's love is the world and its darkness, but the measure of God's love is, is Jesus himself. The purpose of God's love is that we may have life, life eternal, life in all its fullness. I have come that you may have life, Jesus says, and life in its fullness. And the means we enjoy this love is faith. I don't know whether you remember that moment when Susan Boyle uh, came forward and Britain's Got Talent and everybody was thinking... Oh, here we go again, another one who probably can't sing. And then she started to sing, I have a dream from the musical version of Les Miserables. Maybe you know the story now um, of Jean Valjean. The theme of that book by Victor, well, his name's just gone out of my mind, Hugo, Victor Hugo. And um, that was made into that musical about the story of this man who was sentenced to 19 years for hard labor for stealing a loaf of bread. And he's a hard man in those 19 years of that labor camp. No one could break him. Everyone feared him. He is a a horrible man. And then after 19 years of prison, he's released. And he finds it difficult to survive. His innkeepers would not welcome him. Work is scarce. And then a kind bishop welcomes him into his home to have a a bed for the night. But Valjean betrays his trust. In the middle of the night, he creeps out into the darkness, stealing some of the family silver from the bishop's house. But next morning, he is brought back to the bishop's house by three policemen. They had found him. They discovered the silver. They looked at the kind of person he was and just knew he must have stolen it from someone. Stolen the silver. So they bring him back to the bishop. One word from the bishop and this thief would go back to prison, not for 19 years, but for the rest of his life. Because stealing silver, candlesticks from the bishop, is a lot worse than stealing a loaf of bread. And he already had 19 years for that. What does the bishop say? So there you are. I'm delighted to see you. Had you forgotten that I gave you the candlesticks as well? 
Their silver like the rest and worth a good 200 francs. Did you forget to take them? Well, not only are the policemen, the gendarmes, surprised when they realized that the bishop is not sending this man to prison, but is saying it's okay. But imagine what these words have done in Valjean's heart. He is released and he is transformed from that moment on. The bishop says to him, do not forget. Do not ever forget that you've promised me to use the money to make for yourself an honest man. And the story of Les Miserables is the story of how Valjean becomes a more generous, kind and loving man in the town in which he settles. And the change has come from someone who did not give him more condemnation, did not give him justice, but showed him love and gave him grace. Here is a wonderful picture of God's love, of how God's love comes into your life and my life today and every day in which we worship him. A picture of a God who does not condemn us, but that wants the best for us and asks us, live in my love. Turn to my love. Turn to the answer of my love in Jesus. Look to him and his forgiveness on the cross and live your life in the forgiveness that faith in him gives to you. He has taken on the cross death itself. He has taken that last great enemy. He, he's taken the punishment that we deserve. So therefore, we are free because through faith in Jesus, there is no case against God. As God chooses to love you because he is love. For God not just loved the world, he so loved the world. This is an intense love because we have an intense problem. And it's not about your worthiness to receive it. Never use the words, I'm not good enough because You take away from the sacrifice of Jesus and what he has done for you. No one is good enough. Everybody is under condemnation, but God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to give your life. It's not about whether you're good enough. It's about who you look to as the answer to your problem. Will you trust in Jesus? Will you seek to be his disciple and follow him? Will you live in the love that God has touched this world with? His love saves all who come to him and follow his way. His love transforms all who respond in humility and praise. And such people radiate that love to others. And that's a whole new theme within itself, that as we are touched by such an intense love, our love for others is the overflow of God's love for us. People radiate that love to others because they know He has chosen to love them, us, not because of who we are, but simply because he is love. Let us pray. Father, understanding your love is a lifelong journey of faith. Because the more that we know you, the more we realize how unworthy we are, but how great your love is that you should come and reach us 
in our struggles, in our brokenness, in our lostness, in our searching for meaning. Lord, how does your love come to us? It has come to us in Jesus. So Lord, I pray that we as a church will just get to know Jesus more, love him more, and serve him more, and follow him more, and be his faithful disciples. Because as we know Jesus as Lord over us, and around us, and within us, our lives will radiate the greatness of the God that you are, and the beauty of the life that you've given to us through faith in him. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to welcome your love today, to commit ourselves again in faithful discipleship to the one who you sent to redeem us, to save us and to bring light to this journey of life. The flowers here may be beautiful, but they've lost their roots in their life source. In worship today, Lord, we connect ourselves to you so that our, the beauty of your love will not fade from our lives, but will grow ever deeper and more wonderful. Lord, you have blessed our lives, and when we present our offerings, they are tangible expressions monetarily of your gift of love to us. And so, Lord, as we sing our final hymn and we present tangibly these offerings, we do so in faith as we look to you as the king of love over our souls. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.